Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Don't Be a Drag. My name is Patrick Kim and I'm your host. Uh, we have a very special guest today from Abeville, Alabama. Her name is Shantae Arnett and she has been doing a lot of great work in her area as well as recently branching out into the YouTube area to do some freestyle verses of some great songs that we know but adding her own twist to them and adding her own verses. So we're going to be talking to her a little bit about that in our episode and also discussing her drag journey as well as some social media things that she has been dealing with from racial issues as well as discussing Black History Month, which is now this month, February. So make sure that you tune in. But before that, we're actually going to play one of her mixes before this next break and let you hear a little taste of it before we get into the discussion. So I hope you guys enjoy that, and we'll be right back in just a few minutes with our special guest, Shantae. Mike check, Shantae Arnett. Tell him I'm a drag queen. Get the cold shoulder, cause they think a faggot can't spit a rap, huh? <laughs> well, I'll show you. Take it round for round, so when I hook the sound, take a scuba mask, cause you're bound to drown. See, table, take your ass on the ride, so if you riding with me, can't beat the clout. Pick your face, I'm drawing my shit on nachos, cause that's throw away, don't know that bang with locals. Probably boost your socials, let me stack my vocals, wanna make it clear that this sissy owns you. Hustle on a couple different levels. I play the game, but I'm a vocal rebel. I steam the kettle, heavy, you're the metal. Lack Gina about me, I'm sure I'll tell you. Uchi Wally on another level, easy on the eyes, rum's applying pressure, caught another texture from another vessel. Do your homework, I'm about to test you. Why you out here stressing, go and chase your blessings, baby. I don't see you, hope you learned your lesson. Man, I hope this frees you, cause it's such a be you. I ain't got no time, don't somebody need you, pop a tag, why you hiding bags? Securing bags, your life a drag. We pretty queen, and why you out here fainting? I'ma keep on smiling, cause I see you steaming. Not a challenge, more like some balance. Gotta take some chances on some wider stances. Protect your own, quit the fucking tantrums. We are rapping one message, more advances. Presentate like you need some answers. Tackle by my rhyme, go and do some stand-up. Jalapeno verses over thought your manners. Make it sound a habit, get like David Banner. Need a change, get into my channel. Cause the game about to switch, grab a handle. Shiny ballin' about to fuck a layer. Snatch the game about to sew the gamer. Sean. Yeeny no. Hey everyone, welcome back to Don't Be a Drag, which is a podcast here on Anchor. So, as I said before, we have a very special guest today. Miss Shantae Arnett is going to be speaking with us a little bit about their drag experience, as well as some topics related to Black History Month and other personal life experiences that she has dealt with. So, thank you so much for coming in today, Shantae. We're super excited to talk with you. Just tell a little bit about yourself for those who may not have heard about you, so that way they can hear a little bit about what it is you do. What's going on, everybody? My name is Shantae Arnett, and I'm a rapper, dancer, and drag queen, aspiring content creator, and all-around media mogul. I am a drag queen by trade. I'm a rapper by destiny, and I am working on developing specific drag content for my YouTube channel that views hip-hop and drag culture as well as my own um, takes on drag standards, beauty standards, and pop culture as a whole. I got into drag really kind 
dancer for about 15 years and a choreographer for about five to ten of those. And I have been around drag for just about the same amount of time since I, since I was about 15 years old, being around my first drag family, sneaking into clubs, carrying the drag, being a backup dancer, all of those things. But I never really had the passion for it then. It wasn't until I saw Bob the Drag Queen and Shea Coulee come on Drag Race that I wanted to do it for myself. Um, those were specific queens that I actually finally saw myself in and that I related to. So I kind of jumped into it shortly after that. I developed my aesthetic with rap along the way because I was a rapper before I was a drag queen, but I kind of wasn't confident about it. I kind of put my pen down for a while to focus on different things and life got in the way and all, all, all of that type of stuff. But along the way, I realized that the main focus of my aesthetic in drag was female rappers and that they were my biggest inspiration. And so I decided to take my drag presentation to the next level and become the very thing that I'm inspired by, which is a female rapper. So I decided to rap as a drag queen as well. Now, where was the first, I guess, what was the first instance that you were exposed to drag performance and kind of the drag community and decided, hey, that's something that I think I can do? Well, those are kind of two separate answers because the first time that I was introduced to drag wasn't when I thought that I could do drag. I was introduced to drag, I was about 15 or 16 years old, and I was just coming off of an entertainment um, talent scout type of crew competition, and I discovered my first drag family, which was the House of Chanel, and I became a member of the family, but not a drag queen, so I was just one of the sons of the house. I was a backup dancer for the queens, I would carry the drag in, I would dress the queens backstage for the shows and the pageants and those type of things. So I was a fan of drag for all these years, and then that led into my exposure to the ballroom scene at around 17, 18 when I graduated high school. That was my first step personally into the LGBT culture, and I had more drag queen friends who were walking the balls as well, so there was two different sides of the same type of culture. It wasn't until I got into a season eight of Drag Race that I saw Bob the Drag Queen walk into the workroom where I actually kind of was like, I want to do this. Like, I mm-hmm. think I could do it. Bob the Drag Queen was the first drag queen who I really saw myself in that I related to that made me want to actually try it for myself. Shea Coulee came into the workroom season nine and pushed that further for me and made me want to get into it even more. So I ended up jumping into it. And now I have Monet Exchange from season 10, who just kind of like, they're like my holy trinity of rule girls. And they're like my main inspirations of why I actually do drag. So I, so I always say when I get asked the question that I wouldn't be doing drag if it wasn't for Bob the Drag Queen, Shea Coulee, and now Monet Exchange. Now, you said before, um, when we talked earlier about you were going to wait to start performing in drag, but you actually had an incident with a car wreck and that kind of like yeah. brought you to do it sooner. Tell me about that situation and like what all went on there. You asked when I started drag and it was in July of 2017 and I was going to start in August because that's my birthday month. And my birthday is August the, the uh, 30th. Fun fact, the, the day after Michael Jackson. But I was going to wait until then, but I ended up getting to, into a 
car accident. I got swept off the road in the rain one night on the way home. It caved in the, the complete passenger side of my vehicle. I nearly died from it. I'm like, it was completely crazy. But after that, and walking away from it, you know, not severely damaged, severely broken up, severely injured, it kind of lit a fire under my ass and, like, sparked that thing in me. So it was like, you need to do it now before you can't do it. And now it kind of just lit this battery in me to go when you go when your gut says go. Mm-hmm. And so it was about, I'd say about a month later, I, I ordered my uh, makeup kit the next couple days. I was, like, gathering drag and, like, ordering my first bits of drag for, like, a month ahead. And I stepped on the stage a month later. So tell me, since you've started performing in drag, what has been one of the harder things that you've had to deal with, or I guess just had to learn to do this type of entertainment? Because it's not something you can just normally just step into and be like, obviously the best at. What have you had to learn to go through this process? originality and undeterred gut focus on what you want to present for yourself, especially as a drag queen, because your aesthetic has to be your aesthetic. You know, I have a strict rebellion against society or industry-imposed beauty standards, and so when I came into drag, the way I wanted to do drag was very different from the queens that I was around, because I'm a black drag queen in the South. Meaning that there's not a lot of me walking around in certain areas, unless it's like Atlanta. I'm in like the gut of Alabama, which most people don't even know where it is on a map. So going into drag, drag was looked at in a very certain way. It was very traditional. It was very specific. It was very unique. And my inspirations were very different. So... The way I looked at drag was completely different from the queens around me. So the way that they were trying to quote-unquote help me and give me quote-unquote advice, it was kind of basically you trying to mold me into another version of what you see out here, which is a completely opposite version of what I am. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm sorry, I just kind of ran off on a tangent. What was the question again? Oh, no, you're good. Um, we were just talking about what have you had to learn since starting as a drag performer to, like, be able to do this the best way you can. That's right. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. It's something where I've had to not be afraid to do what I love because it may not be what the crowd I'm performing to is into. Mm-hmm. And it's all a part of my stance against assimilation and against, you know, conforming myself to beauty standards that I don't consider myself a part of. And so, in that, I've really focused and rebranded my complete drag aesthetic into what my inspirations are, which is female rappers, which which is the 90s, which is androgyny, non-conformatism, and it's really different than all the drag around me, so it's really made me stand out, but it's really taught me to be very confident in what my gut is, because people growing up want to fit in, and you never realize until you're older how much you want to stand out and not be the same as everybody else. So take the advice, 
listen to it and apply it to what furthers your own drag aesthetic. Complete originality is the lesson. So, kind of going along with this, since you have had to kind of think more out of the box and go to what is more true to you on how you want to be as a performer, what do you what do you think is one of the proudest moments that you've had in your career as a drag performer since you've started? My proudest moment would be when I was given the opportunity to bring a completely original conceptualized show to probably the biggest venue in the Gulf Coast or the Southeast, however you want to categorize it. Flash Bar Florida, it's one of the biggest clubs. They've had so many of the root girls there. It's a great establishment. I love working there. I've been there a few times. It's been a great time. And they allowed me to come in and put on an original concept show, which was a ballroom presentation of drag culture based on a television show called Pose, called Panama Pose. And it was a moment for me because... I believe I was the first person who was allowed to do that at Splash. It's not one of the first, but I believe I was the first, if I'm not mistaken. But to be able to, as a new queen, be given the opportunity to have complete creative control, extend my entire vision, and they just run with it, they love it, they vibe with it, and they gave me complete reign, and for it to be a success, for it to be my own idea, for it to be a huge event, it was packed, it was amazing, it was a great night, that was something that, so far, is really the proudest thing that I've done in drag and probably my life so far. And you said, too, that you actually got a special shout-out for that show from one of the Rue Girls. Yeah. So how was it having somebody who's like on that level, like give a shout out to you as you're like putting on this on, especially as your first show that you're doing, how was that experience? guys we're gonna take a quick break and play another one of shantae's mixes that she's recently dropped and when we come back we're going to talk with her a little bit about black history month 
I can't even words, Black History Month and its importance to the community. And also we're going to be talking in a little bit about some of her issues that she's had to deal with racism and other issues in her life. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Mike Check, Shantae Arnett. Uh. Yo. Shantae, here to catch the fade. You either ride my wave or get out my way. I'm the drag queen of this rap scene. All I see is red, all I count is green. Bad chick, they don't come quick. It wasn't overnight, but it was worth a risk. I fit the smoothest rap that I crack your back. I'll never snap a track to knock your hat back. Who said quiz ain't spitting shaking like strippers? Cause the pieces hitting optometrists. Couldn't give you vision when I start the mission. I roll in and kill it. Stay woke and Shantae, ho. Welcome to my place. Step out on the floor. You wanna challenge me? I leave your knees so. Cause the rhyme is Lil' Kim. Hardcore. Drag queens, cause I'm a drag queen. Take on killer rapping. Brad and Missy seat up in the legacy. Let my style free. My face is beat. Not bring the heat. Y'all withdrawing. I put a hold on the way I'm snapping. Next, they call me Bone Crusher. Got my way like Usher. Y'all some culture vultures. Know that blouse you're wearing from a faggot, don't you? This Shivanshi, that day Lorenza at the finish line. Cause I took the sprinter, copy your full, but I'm a cannon printer. Didn't get the memo, so I faxed the hitters. Squad up, cause my haters bitter. Got them feeling smaller, cause my name is bigger. Wonder how I did it. Get into my lyrics. What I start, I finish, and I'm with the business. This a call to attention. Front of the line, I feel tension. Yo, being me is impossible. You automatically felt your mission. I'm a tight fit with them loose lips. No genetics, I don't slip. I'm going after that empire. Shantae, the one talent. Drip, 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 me out. Sean. Drag queen of rap. Let's And we are back, guys. Thank you guys for listening to Don't Be a Drag here, a podcast on Anchor. Um, so before we talked with Shantae a little bit about her drag experience and how she first got involved into drag and some of those experiences that she's gotten that she's been able to have since her start in performing. Now we're going to talk a little bit about Black History Month and its importance importance to the community. And also just some of the stuff that we've been working with um, with African-American drag queens in the drag community. Shantae, I guess just tell us a little bit about what the importance of Black History Month is. And more importantly, like its importance in our community, uh, the, both the LGBT community and the drag community as well. Yeah. 
being like Martin Luther King mm-hmm. and Jackie Robinson, Rosa Parks, those figures. But I think there needs to be a push further to recognize all of the people who have changed the course of American history who you don't see every day on a stamp or a weedy box or a fuck or, or a newspaper. It's even down into our LGBT society and our drag culture. If you go back to the very beginning of ballroom culture, drag culture, pageant culture, it's been black trans women. It's been black drag queens. It's been the start of, you know, us taking, being a marginalized people as black people, being a marginalized people as gay people, and taking it to a public place where we could enjoy ourselves amongst ourselves. And it's crazy how as drag becomes more and more mainstream, racism bleeds from America's root into the fandom. You would think the LGBT community as a marginalized people would rebel against that, but the racism that goes into the drag fandom is ridiculous against African American women. It's crazy. It's, I don't understand why. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, personally, I hate to say it because I've been able to make an argument for the opposite opinion for the longest time, but becoming a drag queen, I experienced or have experienced the most racism I've ever experienced in my entire lifetime as a drag queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems that for some reason within the LGBT community, African-Americans who come out as gay or who um, start performing in drag, it seems like they're hit a lot harder with it um, on the non-acceptance and the backlash of being like this. Why do you think some of those issues happen? It's the systematic racism that's been built into the threads of this country. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can't blame people just because they're gay to not be racist. Like, just because they're not gay, well, like, sorry, just because they're gay, they're still white, and so their parents might still be racist, just like they're probably homophobic, mm-hmm. which, which is why you should expect them to understand marginalization and, you know, not be hateful towards somebody just because of the, the color of their skin, because I'm sure they receive hate just because of the nature of the love of their character. So it's like, I don't, I have to say I kind of understand because I understand racism and it's not, it's not inherited by somebody, it's taught. So it's like, if a white person is taught racism, they're probably taught in homophobia. So when they come out, it's like hurt people hurt people and that expression comes out from what they know. Like, they know homophobia, they know racism, but it all, but it always raises the question, and I feel like an idiot saying that as an explanation for what people do, because it's like, but if they don't want to be criticized for being gay, then why would they criticize you for being black? And I'm like, I know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, you know, that's, it's so hard to explain. So what do you think is something that we could do as a community to try to help stop these type of issues from happening and 
create more acceptance within our own community? I think it has to be acknowledged. First of all, I think that people have to acknowledge, like, you can't help what you're taught, and we get that. We know that, you know, racism is systematic, and it's something that's spread into the fabric of our country, and it's something that's probably never going to go away. People have to accept that white people are still directly benefiting from the hundreds of years of systematic racism and stop acting like it was hundreds of years ago, like racism ended when slavery was abolished. That's not the case. Like, like, stop acting like segregation was the 60s and people, you know, were just able to get married of interracial couples in, like, within the past 20 years. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. You know, we have to stop acting like racism doesn't exist in a present-day context and acknowledge that everybody in this country just about is a part of some sort of marginalized group. Everybody feels marginalized because of something. Everybody feels like they're a part of some group that doesn't fit in or that isn't understood. So when you can take a moment to acknowledge that and realize that your business is your business and other people's business is other people's business and live your life accordingly and treat people the way that you would want to be treated, then change will start to move forward. It's like once once people are start once people are able to put themselves in the shoes of the people who they're pointing fingers at and signing bills against, can we expect some sort of I guess going further into this issue, it seems like it's amplified when it comes to places like social media with Facebook, Twitter, and even Instagram too. You recently had an issue where there was somebody who was not saying some of the not nicest things and you had to deal with it. Tell me what the situation was and how you went about handling this. It's not, you know, the first. It's just the first of 2019. Like, I think I posted that in the in the post of that. I was like, this is my first of 2019. Let's start off the year correct. Like, um, it was a situation of I was posting about me. Well, the status was saying that the backlash of the seven or eight queens of color, specifically black queens, on the new season of Drag Race really inspired me to want to push the narrative of, you know, black drag matters, basically, further. Mm -hmm. And it really just made all the activism and all the work that I'm doing and all the noise that I'm making and all the rants that I go on worth it because... It made me proud that we're making noise. It made me proud that our presence is still something that is, quote-unquote, to be threatened. And I don't know why we're, quote-unquote, threatening, but I think that we still have a place to make change because we're still something to be addressed. People still have a need to address us negatively, which means we're something to talk about, which means we're making a change and a difference. So it really inflicted this pride in me and somebody who was a 
friends commented and called me all type of racist pigs and this and that and crybaby racist and blah, 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 whatever. And it was like a paragraph of comment about how I'm all of these things and all of this stuff. And, you know, I lightly addressed it and was like, you know, I hate that you feel that way. I don't really care about your opinion, but I hate that you feel that way. You know, it must suck to have, you know, the generations of racism that you that your kind has inflicted on this country thrown in your face. It must suck to read that from somebody who's a friend on your Facebook page. You know, I'm sorry that you have to wake up and see the the infliction of probably your ancestors on my life on your page Mm -hmm. like it sucks but I just post about it and just add it to a knot to my belt of speaking about eliminating cultural ignorance and that's the platform that I'm kind of building my activism on where it's like I can't change your mind I can't make you a different person I can't give you the epiphany that, that you need that's something that you have to see for yourself Maybe it'll be from something I say. Maybe it'll be from something that, that somebody else says or that something somebody reads. But I know that my part and the thing that I have to do is put the information out there so that you can no longer go forth in life and say that you don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because absolutely. a lot of people get on social media and they inflict themselves into conversations that have nothing to do with them and get in their comments because it is a public forum and I am totally with that. And they feel the need to inject this racist rhetoric onto other people's timeline. And it doesn't make any sense to me because it doesn't make any sense to me because you're coming on another person's forum without any information about the person or about the post. And you feel the need to inject opinions or defenses for yourself for a general population statement. You're coming on my post, which is about a general statement about something that I've experienced or something that I know to be true, and defending yourself. Mm-hmm. When I haven't, you, I haven't spoken about you directly, named you, but people always feel the need to come on social media and feel the need to, 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 to defend themselves for something that is addressing the general public. And that's where the arguments come in. And instead of defending yourself, I say that you should educate yourself about the other topic that I'm speaking about instead of saying that I'm not racist because I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not saying that you're racist. I'm saying that you're defending behavior that is considered racist because it's something that you don't do. Yeah. Just because you don't do it doesn't mean it isn't racist. So before you come and try to defend the behavior, educate yourself on the behavior and why it's offensive. And then, as someone who doesn't commit those behaviors, speak on the behalf of us who are offended by it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then you want to just and get into arguments and call us racist and try to say it's reverse racism and this, that, and the third. Where it's like, no, you're just lacking the confidence to educate yourself. All you have to do is Google Google is everybody's best friend. Like, the information is out there. But that's my job at hashtag eliminate cultural ignorance to 
give you the information that you need to know and let you do it the way you will. Whether you choose to take it in and, and apply it, change your way of thinking, and go forward as a better digging person, that's what we hope. If you don't, cool. But at least going forward, you can't say, I didn't know. Because a lot of people get on social media and like to say all of these wild things and then say they don't know. Mm-hmm. But you also didn't take the time to educate yourself before you made that post either. It's all about doing your yeah, it's it seems like since social media has gotten bigger over the last like specifically this last decade that stuff like that is happening more and more just because people feel that they're more free to make these type of statements and they can hide behind their screens as a commenter especially if it's like an anonymous type of posting. And I agree with you that just educating ourselves could really stop a lot of these problems. But outside of that, what do you think that are some other things that we can do to maybe help stop this type of stuff when we see people posting these ignorant things or saying these really racist comments about either situations like the recent drag race thing or just comments that we're making? How, how can we go about bringing that back down, do you think? It's all about, for me, acknowledging that it's happening and acknowledging the source of why it's offensive and why it's racist and educate on what the problem is. But, you know, I don't have the answer to solving how to bring it down. All I can say to that is put the education out there and keep spreading the information of why this is racist, give them back, tell them why what they're saying is offensive, and let them know where the issues lie directly so they can make a defense for something that is logistical facts. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. people like to get caught up in opinion and get caught up on how they feel about a subject and like to qualify that as fact and argue it against something that is black and white written news fact. Mm-hmm. Something that happened. We can't argue opinions against facts. So you have to get out of your own way and take the time to educate yourself on all of the things that you're trying to, to defend yourself against and see what is actually happening out here so that you can go forth not being ignorant in defending behavior that just because you don't do it is something that's not racist. It's yeah. something that's racist, but you just don't do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you have to speak to against all behaviors that are offensive and not just racist behaviors because that's why I started the group Afro Artists Fighting Racism and Oppression because I wanted to not just speak on racism I wanted to speak on sexism, classism transphobia you know, all of those things misogyny, just cultural ignorance in general so that we can be socially aware of ourselves and treat people the way that we would want to be treated and put ourselves in other people's shoes and take the responsibility for ourselves to do our own due due, due diligence as people. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that because I know uh, when we talked before, you had mentioned this group that you'd started, Afro, and I was wondering if you could just explain to the listeners like a little bit about what it is and how people can get involved with support of this. It's a group that I created on Facebook. 
was mostly to bring together drag artists, drag performers of all different races, all different cultures, all different backgrounds, all different styles, all different aesthetics together to talk about issues that affect not only the LGBT community, but the drag industry and people as a whole. Because I wanted to get as many different type of opinions as possible to have a cohesive discussion on the issues that marginalized people are, are experiencing in 
ocean stepped into my lane and you fucking coasted. Swag is universal, dragon hip hop culture. Shante hit the stage, she about to hurt you. When I hit my border, fucking coastal notion. When I hit a body, everybody knows it. Fuck it. My check, Shante Garnett. Alright guys, we are back here on Don't Be a Drag with Shantae Arnett, our most recent guest, and we're super excited to be talking to her about everything that she's been working on and doing. Um, before we get into the topic of your music and YouTube, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the house that you are part of, the House of Menthol, because we've talked with some people who are involved in houses that are very similar, but not a lot of people realize, like, what exactly a house is, like, how people are involved and things of that nature. So tell me, what exactly is the House of Menthol and, like, what houses are in general? Well, I work backwards the board. Specifically, what houses are, they're a collection of individuals that are of the same general aesthetic or similar style or goal or genre, whatever your case may be, in the ballroom scene or the drag scene, and they present their art under the same last name or under the same moniker. Now, the House of Menthol is a, is a collective that me and my best friend, Luna Rosa, created. Um to basically soldier forth the narrative of cohesion between black and white drag queens. Because she's a white drag queen, I'm a black drag queen, she's a quote-unquote spooky aesthetic, I'm a hip-hop aesthetic. So we're so completely different in so many different ways, but we're best friends in and out of drag, on and off stage, in and out of the dressing room. That's my best friend in the entire world. So we formed this collective to show cohesion within the community and also to bring as much exposure to the different aesthetics that are in the drag industry as well. So the Hoffman is just a banner that we wear to show cohesion within the community to soldier forth that you can get along with anybody as long as, long as you're professional and your love for your art is genuine. And, yeah, it was something that I wanted to do with my best friend. So, would you say that this is sort of similar to how people classify themselves in, like, drag families with drag daughters, drag mothers, but just kind of done a little bit differently with kind of similar ideals and goals instead of, like, just strict drag, like, character and persona? people in this collective of people. So when I thought of the Hub of Menthol, to be perfect, 
honest, I wasn't thinking about like a traditional drag house. Yeah. I was thinking more so like the Hanukkah Gaga, mm-hmm. like how she brought together a collective of different talent to present one goal, which is artistic, fashionable content. And that was kind of the basis of what me and Luna wanted to do, was come together and present as much cohesive content within the drag community, as well as just kind of like have our little like best friend click. Mm-hmm. But it was a nice way to show cohesion within the community, but it's not a traditional drag house. Yeah. Okay. I just, I, I know a lot of people hear about like just houses here and there with different drag performers, but not a lot of people really know what those are. So I do appreciate you telling us about that because I think it's just really cool to hear about people that have come together in that sort of way to whether it be support an idea or support each other as the even in just the strict, like, family sense. But I think that's really cool what you guys are doing and trying to put that together. So I just wanted to give a shout-out and kind of explain that to the listeners who may not know what that is. But um, I guess moving into the next topic, if I can get my words out correctly, you've recently put together a YouTube channel to highlight some music that you were working on, more of a free verse style, and just kind of showing off like what you can do. Tell me a little bit about why you're doing this. Like why now? What what is the goal that you're trying to get out of doing these things? Well, I started my new YouTube my, my new YouTube channel, Shantae Arnett Media, because it was a part of my entire rebrand that I was doing with my drag persona and my drag aesthetic. I started twenty nineteen with a decision to completely rebrand my entire being as a drag queen because I spent the past year kind of just performing and just kind of being a crowd pleaser, doing what was going to rile the crowd up and like compromising and doing stuff that I liked with stuff that I knew that the crowd would love versus really diving into what I wanted the trajectory of my drag career to be. So I started 2019 wanting to kind of take over that and really focus that in. So I changed my name. I started this channel and I picked up my pen again and I said that I was going to release my freestyle on YouTube. It was kind of due to a Almonte video on Facebook that my husband sent me. I believe his name is Almonte or Almonte, but it's spelled A-L-M-O-N-T-E that my husband sent me on Facebook. And the way that he was talking about just getting your content out there and letting your talent shine through whether it's not the most professional, brilliantly done, green screen thing, just get your talent out there, make sure that your talent shines through. It was an epiphany that I had. And so I decided to really go forth with putting my music out there. I don't have it professionally recorded, but I'm just, you know, putting my free style out there so that I can let my talent be shown and, and get content put out there so that people can get to know me as an artist. Especially because the drag in my local area is kind of drawing up just a little bit. A lot of bars are changing and closing and shutting down and not doing drag anymore and changing their styles and doing all these different things. So it's harder to be booked as consistently as it was last year. So 
as I'm filling my calendar, I'm finding different ways to keep myself out there once on social media because the way that it is nowadays, if you if you don't see it online, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I try to make sure that I get my verses out there because I've been calling myself the drag queen of rap, the drag queen of hip-hop since I started drag, but I had only rapped on social media once, once or twice or online or live once or twice. So I wanted to just put something out there, just something consistent, something that I could hashtag and get, excuse me, seen on all the different platforms for it. So I started my pay mixes, which is me just writing verses to different beats that I love, um, that people know that were hits, and I'm just dropping them on YouTube and on social media. It's really just me getting in drag, sitting in my drag room, and recording me rapping. Now, we've played the first two that you've done since you've revamped this. Um, Tell me, is there any specific, like, idea behind this set of videos and set of raps and freestyles that you're doing? Or is it just kind of overall showing everything you can do, whatever the topic or idea may be? Now, do you have any ideas of, from from what you've already been doing, you want to do something related in the rap area. Have you given any thought or idea to, if you got the opportunity to produce a full album or even an EP or a single, what you would want to do with it or like any type of direction or ideas or anything that your dream goal, if you got to do this? say tomorrow. The ultimate goal is to be able to provide for my family and make a living on for the rest of my life doing what I love to do, which is music and drag. So my goal would be able to take my talent and be like the biggest drag queen rapper. There's got to be a shorter way to say that. Drag queen rapper out there. But Eventually, I want to take that talent and channel it into other aspects of the entertainment industry and kind of channel that into a multimedia empire that I want to distribute through my own company. 
So I want to eventually distribute my own music through my own imprint, Shantae Arnett Media, which you can see the watermark on all of my videos, Shantae Arnett Media, and the tape makes this watermark. But I want to put out my own music through, through my own brand and eventually branch out into podcasts, hosting my own web series. I'm also developing a, another web series for my YouTube channel, Shantae Arnett Media, right now. That's going to be a humbly opinionated recap of RuPaul's Drag Race, starting with season 11, called Shantae She's Bay, where it's going to be me talking about just the episodes, the girls, what I love, what I don't love, and it's going to be my humble opinion based on me being a fan of drag and a fan of entertainment. So I want to build upon my grassroots talent that are going to get me in the door and take it to all the things that I'm going to do with my career as a whole. Being a host, being a mogul, being behind the scenes, being a producer, and really kind of get my Ruka on, get my Tyler Perry on, and continue this generation of black entrepreneurs who have taken their talents and built empires from the things that they just love doing. I think that's going to be an awesome goal to go for. And I think with what you're already starting, that you will eventually get to that point because you have that drive and you seem to know how you want to go about putting all this together. Um, I do want to let everybody know uh, before we end today, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, This will be our last break. But when we come back, I want to touch some more on the aspect that you just mentioned about supporting your family through all of these endeavors and how everything has been like having a family in the drag world. So stay with us and we'll be right back after this. All right, everyone, we are back here at Don't Be a Drag. Uh, We just mentioned uh, some of Shantae's music and endeavors that she is working towards uh, for her future and her career. But she mentioned in the last set about supporting her family and trying to do this for her family. So I wanted to ask you, Shantae, about your family, because you mentioned you have a husband as well as a child. And I was wondering if you could tell us how is it to have a family and be a drag performer? Because I know being a performer is not always the easiest thing to start, but then having a family on top of that can make things even harder. So how has that been for you? Absolutely. It's not the, it's not the easiest thing having, you know, an entire system depending on you at home when you're depending on the income of drag. Because everybody knows local drag is pennies on what you invest into your own presentation. So for every $100 that you spend on your drag, let's say, you may make 10 to $20 on that 100 But, you know, if you work hard enough and you get yourself out there and you get yourself able to be booked at shows and you build your show and your presentation and your performance up to a point where, you know, you're able to 
the crowds and get tips and stuff like that. You can you can be able to make a decent living if you're continuously booked. Now, for me, my goal is to be able to live my to be able to live my life and make my living touring and making money performing in in a drag context, meaning like lip syncing and as well as doing my own music. So it's crazy because my goals are or my my motivation are so much more larger than the queens that I work with a lot of the time because a lot of the time when I'm at the show the queens are between sixteen and infinity. So but most of the time they're really young. And so they're between like sixteen and twenty five, let's say that. I think twenty five is the oldest queen that I've worked with outside of Luna who is the same age as me. But we're usually like the oldest queens in the room. So it's crazy because they're just trying to get out there, make money, and be famous, and, you know, be on Drag Race, and, you know, be a famous queen on Instagram, and my motivations are like, yeah, being famous would be cool, but my goal is success in the entertainment industry. So, while fame is nice, it is a byproduct of success for me, whereas to this generation of the social media generation is the overall goal. Whereas I come from an era of entertainment where you wanted to be successful and make a living doing what you love. And if you became famous and the best at it, then great, that's awesome. But you wanted to be the best at what you were doing, providing for your family. So as long as you were, you know, making ends meet and doing what you wanted to do, you you wanted to be the most successful in that aspect. It wasn't about being the most famous person doing it. It was about being the most successful, whether that came with being on the front of every blog or the front of every newspaper or not. So now the queens want to be on the front of every blog and every tabloid and on every click site and that and the third. And that comes with sometimes a lack of quality when it comes to the presentation. So my overall goal is to make a career that provides for my family instead of making a name, quote unquote, for myself. It's more selfless than it is selfish. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy that I'm into the entertainment industry for selfless purposes. But honestly, to enter in such a selfish industry, you have to have selfless motivations. Otherwise, you'll drown. Yeah. Because if you're not for something concrete and for something serious and for something that you can't let fall apart, then you'll just let it go by the wayside because this industry is so fickle and it's so cruel and it's so easy to turn its back on you. It's so shady. This, that, and the third. But it's also the best side of it is getting to express your art. So getting back to the question after my hour-long ramble... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> providing for my family in this industry means that I have more serious motivation than a lot of my contemporaries now because I have an entire life to take care of. I have a four-year-old daughter. I have a man at home who, who, who I don't have to take care of. I mean, he holds the house down, but 
you know what I mean? It's just like my family. Yeah. So, it's no. all the things of doing it is more serious for me than it is fun. Even though I have fun doing it, it's like business. It's not, oh, this is my hobby and I like doing drag on the weekends because, you know, I like playing in makeup. It's no, I do this because it's my uniform of, you know, the music that I love to do and the vehicle that I want to represent and the aesthetic that I want to put on stage because it's my life. It's the thing that I've wanted to do my entire life, and now that I have a family to support, it's even more motivation on top of it being the only thing that I've wanted to do for the entire 27 years that I've been on this earth. Now I'm doing it for two other people. So now it's three times as important to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Now, out of curiosity, does your daughter know about you performing in drag, or is that something y'all are kind of waiting on till later to tell or how how'd y'all go about that well right now i'm not like famous or anything yeah so it's not a big motivation for me to sit down and have to talk with her and you know let her know that daddy does drag because it's not something that she has to see or or something that i directly have to explain to her because it's not something that's on her radar at this time She's, you know, four years old, so she's in school right now. She's learning how to write her name. She's learning colors and shapes and all of that type of stuff. So I'm more focused on interacting with her as a parent and making sure that she's developing the best that she can as a human being, more so than making sure that she understands a career that she has no conceptual idea of piecing together. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that will all come in time when she's old enough to you know, Google me or look me up, especially because I'm the one and only Shantae Arnett. There is nobody on the face of this earth in or out of drag, male, female, in between, anywhere, named Shantae Arnett on this earth. I am the only one. So by the time she gets old enough to Google me, I'll definitely sit down and have that talk with her and let her know, you know, daddy makes a living as an artist. I'm a drag queen. This is what I do. I'm sure you watch, you know, she watches Drag Race with us sometimes, but she doesn't really ask a lot of questions. Um, she, she's not really in her room. She's off doing her own thing. She's very independent like me, so she's off just making her own world. So uh, we haven't really had to explain anything to her yet, but when the time comes, I'm definitely excited to bring her, to sit her down and explain exactly what it is that I do. Right now, I don't have any of my drag at home. I don't get ready at home. I don't come home and drag. So I haven't had to explain it to her as yet. I keep all of my drag somewhere else, and it's in a concealed place in another location. So um, when the time comes that it's on her radar, then we'll have that conversation. But right now, she's four years old, so it's not even a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, as you are saying... You're not super famous yet, but you are doing a lot of awesome things. How can somebody get in contact with you if they either just want to know more about you and what you do, or if there's somebody out there who's interested in booking you? Well, I used to do this thing of listing all of my social, and like, because they're pretty much all the same name, Shantae Arnett. I'm not very extreme. It's at Shantae Arnett or Shantae Arnett Media. Because on IG and Twitter, it's at Shante Arnett, and on Facebook and on YouTube, it's Shante Arnett Media. But now I do this thing because I found out 
that I'm like the only person in the world named Shantae Arnett, I, I just say Google me. <laughs> just look me up. Just, just look me up. Shantae Arnett. Put it in your Google machine and you'll find me. And you'll find all my links. You'll find all my stuff there. My email is in my Instagram bio. It's in my Facebook. Shantae Arnett. S-H-A-W-N-T-A-E. Arnett is A-R-N-E-T-T-E. Awesome, guys. So make sure that if you're interested, please send Shantae a message because she needs to make that money to help her family. And also, she's just really, really good. So make sure you check out her stuff, send some messages, and get with her so that way she can get booked. And that is actually all the time we have for today. But... I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. We'll have another exciting guest next week. But until then, just remember, don't be a drag. Just be a queen, honey.